0: Good morning, and thank you all for being here with us this morning for our third worship service of the day, um, which has been super fun so far today actually um, so uh, thank you for for joining us um, we 've had uh, we had an eight thirty service and a nine forty five service so you 're thir- the third group through today and i know it 's a little weird to be um, of course we 're in a smaller room we have smaller groups of people here um, we 're still progressing towards getting back into our room, and um, if any of you have worked with insurance before, you know that it's not a particularly fun process, um, and uh, and apparently everything shuts down at Christmas and New Year's, so we got a little bit delayed in that, but um, uh, this week we we will know more. We had some good conversations at the end of the week last week, and we'll have some things on the schedule by the end of this week to get things moving forward um, uh, more officially. And so uh, we're still looking at being out here for a couple of months. And so we're going to continue to make the best of it. Um, For right now, the plan is to do three services for at least the remainder of January. And we'll just kind of see how our numbers are and attendance at different services and all that. And we might go back to two services at some point. Uh, But for now, this is where we are At, at 830, 945 and Eleven, and uh, those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us online. We will live stream every Sunday at eleven o'clock for the time being, and we'll let you know if there's any changes to to any of that schedule. Um, a few announcements: um, there is not a WANA meeting this evening. Uh, the youth ministry is meeting this evening as normal. The Awana ministry is not meeting because of just uh, not having the the right leaders in place. You you guys know, most of you know, we've had a number of COVID cases in our church over the last couple weeks. Some of those right now that are still recovering are Awana leaders. So we want to make sure that when we uh, come back to doing Awana, we do it well. And uh, tonight, we don't have the right leadership team in place to do it well. So No kids ministry this evening, but the youth ministry is meeting as normal. And so uh, keep track of your emails, parents, for for, uh, messages from AJ and Rika on those uh, sorts of things. Uh, We do have a number of small groups that are are continuing to meet right now, a couple that are meeting this evening. And if you want information about small groups, if you ever want information about small groups, uh, let us know, and uh, we've got a number of small group options for you to be um, included and, and to be a part of something with that. If you are an elementary school school parent, an Awana parent, and your kid made a gingerbread house, whatever it was, like a month ago, we have given, we have left them in the lobby for this purpose. If you want them, if you want to take a picture of them, today is officially your last chance. So those are being thrown away tomorrow. I would not advise anybody eating them, um, but you can take them home if you really want to, and I'm just going to tell you, if you try to pick it up, it's probably going to fall apart. But we left it there for you in case there was a child that was really proud of their work and really wanted mom and dad to see it. They're still out there in the lobby. They will be gone tomorrow. You can take it if you want it. If you want somebody else's house, and it's unclaimed. I guess you can take that too. Again, I would not advise eating them um, after a month or so. Um, also, last thing, uh, several of you have seen the, the emails, or there's a couple of social media po- posts about reading through the New Testament in a year. And if you follow the link that we sent out via email, and if you want the link, I- I'll give it to you. Um, there's actually a way that you can read it and be connected to other members of the congregation in the Bible app. And there's about 50 people already signed up for the plan on the app. And then you can comment each day on what you read in the reading for that particular day. So it's it's an incredible tool, a very cool resource. If you want to be connected on the app, let me know. If you are an analog person and not a digital person, if you want print, you want a printed uh, piece of paper, here's the plan on paper. And and we are um, in 2022. We're trying to read through the entire New Testament. The average is about one chapter a day, and it's it's printed out on here. January through December, and those are in the lobby. There's also some uh, uh, sermon note sheets and and things like that in the lobby at the Welcome Center table uh, we have there. So turn with me to Luke chapter 16. We're going to continue following Jesus through the book of Luke. And um, full disclosure, today's sermon is all about money. Um, And it's actually probably technically not all about money. It's really mostly about Jesus, but about what Jesus says about money. And, and here's the deal. Uh, it's something that we have to talk about. But it's something that, for whatever reason, makes people uncomfortable whenever the church starts talking about money. And there's a couple of different ways that we can really mess up the whole conversation about money as a local church. Uh, some churches are so obsessed with money that when they have the opportunity to talk about money, they're telling you, you must give it, you must do this, you must invest in God's kingdom, you must give money to our local church. Here's your reasons why. If you give money, then God will bless you. Some churches make God's blessing on you conditional on your giving to them. And some churches really misuse because they're obsessed with, the, with money themselves, and they misuse the way the New Testament or the Bible talks about money. So that's one error, to just become so obsessed with, with money over here and talk about it too much or talk about it in the wrong ways. There, there's another error over here where it's like, well, because those churches mess up in the way they talk about money, we're just going to be awkward about it and not say anything at all because we don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. We don't want to make anybody feel like we're after their money. So we're just going to, Ignore that stuff over there and let people decide on their own what they, what they do with their money. Here's the problem with that approach. We, the problem with this approach is easy. The problem with that approach is that Jesus actually talks about money a lot. And our goal as Christians is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Our goal is to follow Jesus. And Jesus talks about money more than anybody else in the Bible. And he talks about money more than I do as a pastor. So it's, it's actually kind of challenging for me. Anytime I read the Gospels and think about how much Jesus talks about money, I recognize Jesus talks about money way more than I do. Jesus challenges his followers with money way more than I challenge my church with money. And so the way we approach money here at Fellowship Bible Church is we, when the Bible talks about money, we talk about money. When the Bible's not talking about money and talking about an application in a different area, we're not going to just throw money into that passage if that's not what the passage is talking about, okay? And so that, that's one of the, the really cool things that you do when you preach long sermon series, okay? So this is, uh, we've been in Luke for a year, okay? I did not plan to talk about money at the, you know, at the beginning of January as if it's this sort of New Year's resolution budget planning sermon. That wasn't my original plan. I just knew that I was going to preach through Luke last year and into this year, and this is where it fell. And when you let the Word of God decide what you talk about, sometimes you talk about hard things like money. So we're, just, we're here today talking about money because it's what the Word of God talks about in the next passage in, in our journey through Luke. Okay, Luke chapter 16. Now, there are a lot of parables that Jesus tells that have applications to money. And, and, and this is one that it's like there's no way around it. It's just very, very clear. Jesus is talking about wealth. And he, he actually refers to it as unrighteous wealth, worldly wealth. And I don't want you to think that Jesus is saying money is all bad all the time. And Jesus is actually, in this passage, giving us the purpose of money. That, that is, I mean, that's kind of a big promise for a sermon, right? I'm going to tell you today what Jesus sees as the ultimate purpose of your money. That feels like a big promise, but that, that is what Jesus is saying. He's telling us, this is how you use your money. This is the ultimate purpose of it. And there's just no way around talking about money today. And, but I, I will tell you that Luke chapter 16 can be confusing to people. Some pastors and commentators will call it one of the most difficult parables in the New Testament to apply. And, and some of it, it actually feels more difficult because of the context. If you watched the service last week, I know we were, we were video only last week, but I, I hope you go back and watch that service if you haven't already. It's Luke 15, which is one of the, the richest, most beautiful parts of the New Testament. Is Luke 15. In fact, people call that the heart of Luke's gospel because it shows the heart of the Father in Luke's gospel. The parable of the prodigal son is probably as easy of a passage to preach and teach as any passage in the New Testament. And that's Luke 15. That was, that's what, what just ends at the end of chapter 15. It's really easy to apply. It's easy to get. It's all about the love of the Father. Luke 16, super confusing. And it's made more confusing in the context of Luke 15 because you got used to parables being easy to apply. And now here's one that's a little bit confusing to apply. Uh, but as we unpack it today, we're going to unpack, unpack it in a very straightforward way. And we're going we're to talk about a principle for learning and engaging in parables. Every parable makes a point, okay? Some parables make multiple points. The, the prodigal son, I believe, makes multiple points. And I believe you, you can miss the, the depth of the prodigal son if you miss the character of the older brother. That's what I tried to present to you last week. Sometimes people make the prodigal son all about the father and the lost son. But the older brother is a key part of the story too. This, this parable has one main point, Okay, Out of that one main point, we're going to draw seven different principles. But that one main point is, is what we need to focus on the most. Because if we try to apply all these different things and try to go into too many layers, we're just going to confuse ourselves and just going to mess ourselves up and make comparisons that are unnecessary. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. So the parable is straightforward. Okay, There is an unrighteous, dishonest manager and Jesus affirms the actions of the unrighteous dishonest manager because the unrighteous dishonest manager understands the purpose of wealth more than Christians understand the purpose of wealth and therefore he acts more wisely with his wealth okay that that's 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 the The overall message of this parable, and and I'm going to tell you why I say that. So we're going to unpack it this way. We're going to look at the people in the story. We're going to look at the, the number one purpose of the story. And then we're going to draw seven biblical principles of how we learn how to use our money, our wealth, in light of this passage. So Luke chapter 16, we're going to read the whole thing first. Luke 16, 1 through 13. Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, stop right there what do you think this is about so far? You think it's about a dishonest guy that's just trying to save his own rear end, right? He's about to get thrown out, and his last action before getting thrown out by his boss, by his employer, is to save himself so that he has some level of relationships when he's thrown out on the street by his master. And think about the context of what this relationship was like. This is um, not just a guy that's managing a small project for the master or for the wealthy man, the owner. The, The owner has left this man in charge of this entire property and household. So it's not just grain in a field. It's servants, it's business dealings, it's all the financial dealings of buying, selling, and trading, all of that sort of thing. And so it's not just that this guy is in charge of making sure the right amount of grain is, is harvested. It's that this guy is in charge of making sure those bills get paid, making sure that those bills get paid on time, making sure the, the employees get paid, making sure everything is well taken care of, okay? And, and the, the owner has put all of this confidence in this one person, and then all of a sudden, because there's an accusation made, he just wipes it out. And he says, okay, somebody told me that you're messing up, that you're not managing wisely, so I'm going to remove you from your position. So this guy, as his last action in being removed from his position, says, okay, I've got a few days until he replaces me, so in my few days before he gets somebody else in to manage, I'm going to go to the debtors, and I'm going to ingratiate myself to them. I'm going to make better relationships with them. Because let me ask you something. If you, I, I mean you know, we, we, don't, we don't buy and trade with measures of oil. So let's take it out of measures of oil right now. And so let's say you owe somebody $100. And somebody comes to you and says, you know what, that bill for $100, just change it and write 50. You're going to like the guy that said, change your bill for $100 to 50. He's going to be your buddy now. That's what the manager was, was trusting in. He was saying, these guys are going to like me, and then when the, the master, who cares about him? Who cares if the master's mad that I messed up all of his bills because he's already going to throw me out? What's the worst he can do now? But these guys, for whom I've forgiven their de- parts, a portion of their debts, they're going to really, really like me. Now, what do you expect to happen next? You expect this guy to be confronted in his dishonesty. Not what happens. Verse 8, the master, the guy that just lost money in this deal, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so first we look at the people in the story. We have the owner. Usually, when Jesus is telling a story about an owner or a master, a property owner, that figure in most of Jesus' parables like this is God himself. But we do not need to too quickly come to that conclusion with this parable. And let me tell you why. Because the master is a little bit harsh here, right? Because does he know fully what the manager is doing? No. He's just told, look at verse 1, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, he fired him right away. And he asked him to turn in the paperwork, but he didn't ask him to turn in the paperwork so that he could negotiate to keep his job. He took an accusation from a third party, he went with it and fired the guy on the spot. So it's not like this is a very generous, kind master. We also, the other thing we learn about the master's character is he actually is kind of impressed by the dishonesty of the manager in the end. So here's what I want you to think. Don't too quickly say, well, the master is God, and I'm the dishonest servant, and all that sort of thing. That's not the primary application here. And that's why I say this this parable can be really confusing to apply if you try to over-apply it. There's certainly a principle that we know in Scripture. God entrusts us with wealth for us to manage. That comes out in verse 12 in Jesus' explanation. We manage something that doesn't belong to us. So that principle is there. But don't say that the master or the owner here is God Himself, and that we're because here's the point of the story. The point of the story is this $10 bill. This is unrighteous wealth in this story. Okay? All money. Jesus is referring to as worldly wealth or unrighteous wealth. He's not saying all money is bad all the time. He's saying this is temporal. This is not eternal. This is not pure. This is not sanctified. It is used for good purposes and bad purposes. It is worldly. It is of this world. So he has unrighteous wealth. And everybody, everybody in the story is shady think about the think about the parable okay you have this master who fires his manager on the spot for hearsay from a third party you have a manager that goes and negotiates with debtors to change the bill of the master and the master actually is impressed at the end these are three groups of shady characters that are all in on this together and the the debtors are certainly not righteous right the debtors aren't 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 saying, oh, well, no, I really do owe a hundred measures of oil. I'm not going to change my bill. No, no, no. They're shady, too. The whole point of the story is shady characters manage money better than children of the light. That's, what Je- that's the story Jesus is telling you. Because at least they understand what they're in it for. They understand what their goals are. They understand that they are fully motivated by greed and they're not caring about the good of other people around them. And when you don't care about the good of other people around you and you're only motivated by greed, your financial planning priorities are very, very clear. You just want yours and you're not concerned about anybody else. So all three parties here, the the owner, the landowner, the manager, and the debtors, they're all shady. But then Jesus interprets this and brings out three new categories of people. The sons of this world, the sons of the light, and friends. This is not super complicated, this part. The sons of this world are unbelievers, those that don't believe in Jesus. The sons of light are believers, those that do believe in Jesus. Jesus is saying the sons of this world are more clear in their approach and therefore more shrewd and wise in their money dealings than the sons of the light. Why? Because the sons of the light think they know what they're doing with their money, but go back and forth between serving God, serving money, serving God, serving money. And the sons of this world, they just serve money. They just serve pleasure. And so they have more clarity in the way they're they're using their money. But who are the friends? And this is where you get to the purpose of the passage. This is what Jesus says. The purpose of money is making friends. It's It's that simple. Everybody wants friends, right? I'm not the only one. I'm not the lonely guy up here with no friends that wants to make more friends. Hopefully, everybody wants to make friends. And so this is, this is the promise of the parable. Jesus wants you to have friends. Jesus wants you to make relationships, to build community. And how do you do that? With money. You buy your friends. It's like a sorority or something. No, I'm just <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jesus says money is, is the, one of the purposes, one of the functions of money here is to make friends for yourself. But who are the friends that Jesus is talking about? Look at verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into what? Eternal dwellings. So this is one of those things that we've got to see from this passage. It's important to, to unpack it. This is temporal. Souls, people, are eternal. Eternal. That's the distinction Jesus is making here. You want to use what is temporal to invest in what is eternal. The friends that welcome you into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, use your your $10 bill. That's all I got, guys. Use, Use your money, use your financial wealth to invest into eternal relationships. Those friends that welcome you into eternal dwellings are people that get into the eternal kingdom before you. That when you enter into the eternal kingdom, you recognize, because of the way you have invested your financial resources in this life, these people have now heard the gospel, grown in the gospel, received salvation, and gained entrance into the eternal kingdom, and you were a part of that by your investment in this life. That's the story Jesus is telling you. That you can either make temporal friends with your unrighteous wealth by just wasting it and and spending it on pleasure. Or you can make eternal relationships by building and investing in Christ's eternal kingdom by using your money, your unrighteous wealth, your worldly wealth for the sake of his kingdom. And so that's the purpose here. The purpose is that smart the purpose of this parable is that smart disciples use money for the glory of God, the benefit of others, And for the sake of eternal souls, to build God's kingdom, to make eternal friends. Now, Jesus refers to this as unrighteous wealth. This is a product of the world, of the culture, of society. This is not a product of the kingdom of God. It has the name of an earthly kingdom written on the bill here. So this is earthly, this is temporal, this will pass. But how do we approach things that are clearly earthly, clearly temporal? Well, I'm going to give you three words of how we can approach things in culture and society. We can reject, we can receive, and we can redeem. There are some aspects of human culture that we as Christians need to say, nope, we reject that. No, we will not participate in that action, in that behavior. We reject that aspect of the culture. There are other aspects of culture that we receive, and say, there's nothing inherently sinful about that. God is creative. God makes people who are made to create. And so there are certain things in culture that are creative and are beautiful. And we as Christians should have no qualms whatsoever about receiving those aspects of culture. So there are certain cultural practices that are sinful. We reject those. Okay? False religions, uh, f- false idolatry of any, cor- of any kind, the idolatry of sex and the idolatry of whatever. Those are things We reject. What we receive are, are beautiful aspects of culture, like, like music and, and food and, and, and art, things like that. Those are aspects of culture that we can receive and say there's nothing inherently sinful or righteous about it, but we can receive and we as Christians can participate in those things. And then there's things like money that have to be redeemed because they can be used for both sinful purposes and righteous purposes. Uh, another illustration of this is like the Internet, okay? Is, is the Internet a good thing? Gee, I don't know. kind of bad, really, when you think about it. But can it be used for righteous means? Absolutely, it can. And so, do you call the internet righteous or good? No, I certainly would not, because there's so much, the depths of evil take place on the internet. But right now, we are broadcasting live over the internet the message of the gospel and teaching from God's Word, which is a beautiful thing. And more people now have access to the gospel than at any other point in human history because of the internet, which is a beautiful thing. So that is an example of taking something that can be used for evil and redeeming it for good. And that's how we approach money. okay? Because money can be used for evil. We can also use it to build God's kingdom for good. And so we use money to make God's presence known. To make God's glory known among people. So the primary thrust, the primary command of this passage is make friends with your money. But don't make temporal friends. Make eternal friends. The usefulness of money in Christ's kingdom is to invest in eternal souls. And maybe that's by giving to a local church Maybe that's by giving to a missionary who goes across an ocean to tell people about Jesus. Maybe it's by going across the street to help the family in need that's in your very neighborhood. Maybe it's by by caring for an orphan, caring for a widow, caring for a single parent, caring for somebody who is medically disabled. Whatever it is, we know there's opportunities all around us to serve and to use our financial resources for good. For God's kingdom, and that's what He's calling us to here. Make friends by investing in eternal souls, and do it for God's glory. So, seven principles. We'll, we're we're going to land the plane through, through seven principles here. And this is like this feels like a clickbait title, like seven principles of biblical financial management. And you share it on social media and all that. But this is there were just seven there, guys. So I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about this. Seven principles for biblical financial money uh, money management. Um, number one, go to verse nine. I'm going to ask you to circle, underline, highlight, whatever, three words in verse nine, and I'm going to ask you to treat it like a promise, okay? And maybe you have one of those like books of Bible promises, which are really cool and really good and, and helpful. This one, I guarantee you, is not in there. But it is a promise, and the way Jesus says it is something we need to live by. It is the foundation for all of this that we're going to say. Look at verse nine, okay? I tell you. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that, three words, when it fails. That's your promise. Money will fail you. Unrighteous wealth, worldly wealth will fail you. And whether it's in the form of of paper money and a stock market crash, losing your job or whatever, or whether you don't really care. Most of us would say we don't really care about dollars and cents. We care about what those dollars and cents gets us, right? And so whether it's it's wealth in terms of dollars and cents or wealth in terms of your your home or your car or whatever precious possession the money has enabled you to purchase for yourself for your own comfort for your own pleasure whatever the promise is that financial wealth will fail you it will never be enough it will never fulfill you it will fail you that's what god that's what jesus is telling us here when it fails is a promise that it will fail he doesn't say if it fails If money ever fails you, have friends. No, he says, money will fail you. So therefore, use your wealth to invest in eternal relationships. So number one, money will fail. Number two comes from verse 12. Verse 12, Jesus says it like this. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's. Second principle, your money is not yours. Your money does not actually belong to you. I know you feel like you worked hard for it. I know you feel like you earned it. But that's not what happened. God is the giver of all wealth, of all money. Whatever, whatever training you have, whatever gifts you have, whatever physical abilities, mental abilities, whatever, whatever opportunities you found yourself in the right place at the right time for your career, or you found yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time for a career that, that is not what you dreamed it would be. Whatever it is, the money that you receive in your paycheck is a gift from God that is given from Him to be managed by you. And so, so don't hold on to it tightly as if it belongs to you. You belong to him, and what belongs to you belongs to him anyway. And this has been given by him, so recognize it belongs to him. So, so number one, money will fail you. Number two, it doesn't belong to you anyway. Number three, it's a tool to be managed. Uh, Luke 11, Jesus uh, comes down on the Pharisees. Okay? So the Pharisees in Luke 11 are tithing. What tithe means is to give 10%. So so what the Old Testament law says is they were to give 10% of their crops, of their harvest, of whatever, to the temple or to the Levites to be used in the temple. Okay? That practice continues into the New Testament where Christians are to give 10% to the local church, to the church of which you are a part of as a member. That's a good and biblical practice. It's base level obedience, okay? And, and I think it, it sounds self-serving. It sounds self-ser- self-serving when the pastor of a church tells you, you should give 10% to us so that we can take care of it for God's kingdom. It sounds self-serving when somebody like me says that. But I'm not saying that because I want your money. I'm saying that because I want your good. And, and as pastor, I have to, to deal with the fact That Jesus talks about money with his followers a lot more than I talk about money with my church. And so, therefore, I need to not be ashamed of Jesus' claims, of Jesus' commands. When Jesus talks to the Pharisees about tithing, he says the problem is not that they tithe. He says they should tithe. The problem is that they go to the lengths of tithing herbs. They tithe mint and dill that grows from their garden. And all the while, they ignore the poor that are in need. Jesus says, do both. Tithe. Give your 10% back to my kingdom. But go beyond that 10% to sow generosity to those in need. See, see, in the New Testament, God says, 1 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver that we should not give under compulsion but willingly. And I want to tell you that that I think when, when God is saying that, he's talking about giving beyond the 10%. The, 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 the tithing is just base level Christian discipleship. This is what practical obedience looks like. Entry level Christian obedience is recognizing it all belongs to God. So I'm going to give him back his 10% first. And then the 90, the other 90%, which also belongs to him, I'm going to use that wisely. I'm going to still manage that wisely, steward that for the sake of his kingdom. And I'm going to show generosity. Beyond that. And so. Luke 11. Jesus says. Woe to you Pharisees. You miss the point of tithing. So. Let's not miss the point of tithing here. And be a Pharisee. Let's recognize. That we as Christians. Live in a time in which Jesus has fulfilled the law. But it doesn't nullify the definitions of righteousness in the law. Okay. And the definitions of righteousness in the law says. Give back to God what belongs to him. Now. That's hard for you. If you're like, I don't. How do I make ends meet? How do I give ten percent? How do I give beyond ten percent? How do I make ends meet? I've got to take care of my family. Well, let's look at number four, and we'll talk about that for a second. Number four, if you're going to manage your money as God's manager of the money He entrusts to you, you need to make a decision how to approach the money. That's what the shrewd manager does. He makes a firm decision. He reflects first. This is this is what he's doing in verses three and four. He's like. I don't want to dig ditches. That sounds terrible. I'm too weak to dig ditches. I don't want to beg. I'm too proud to beg. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do these shady dealings. But in verse 4, he says it like this. And this is what one of the things that Jesus affirms as shrewd. In verse 4, he says, I know what I must do. I know what I will do. Here's my challenge for you all. Sit down. Have a family budget meeting. A husband and wife budget meeting, or if you're single and alone, think about, how am I going to approach the money that God has given to me? Have a budget meeting and say, this is what I must do. This is how I live as Christ's disciple with an approach to my money. Have a plan and enact the plan. Okay? Now, and, and here's, the, here's the beautiful thing about Christian community. The beautiful thing about the church is that we have people that can help with that. We have people that would love to sit down with you and say, you can't make ends meet now. Let's look, let's strategize about how we can set up a budget, how we can do some counseling, how we can get you to a healthier place financially. Not so that you'll give money to the church, but so that you'll walk in Christian obedience. So so that you'll walk in a way that thrives in in health, in financial health and in spiritual health. And, And also, when we ask you to give to the church, we, we don't just use it all to turn lights on and, and send videos out and pay salaries. We have this whole other section of our, of our finances that's called our Samaritan Fund. And if, and if anybody in this room or watching is in financial need right now, that's why that exists. Because everybody everybody faces struggles and difficulties financially. And there's, there's peaks and valleys. And if you're in a peak, give generously. And if you're in a valley then we want to help. And we want to come around side you as as the local church, as a family, to help you walk through those financial needs. And so that's what happens when the church comes together as a community, is we bear one another's burdens. Sometimes that means financial things. We we bear one another's burdens in in teaching you how to set up a budget and and how to walk and and give faithfully and, and save and all of those things. All of those things are important. And that's part of the Christian community. And you say, well, I don't know about this. Does the local church really have to have 10% of my money? Do I really have to be devoted? I'll say it like this. Christ has just called us to use our money to invest in eternity, to invest in eternal souls. And so we at Fellowship Bible Church, our burden, you think you have a burden personally, think about what it means to be an elder of a church of a couple hundred people that are sharing this burden. We want to invest wisely, too. And that's why we send more than 20% overseas into missions. And why we sponsor 13 different missionaries in five different countries so that we can do this wisely, so that we can invest in eternal souls and eternal relationships. And so if this is the body that Christ has called you to, then this is where you should be investing in eternal souls. And some of those eternal souls are our own kids in our own church, Some of those eternal souls are are our own people, are your your own peers or senior citizens in this church that need to be served or or whoever in this church, in this community or all around the world. That's why you invest in a local body, not because it's self-serving for me. I'm talking about this not for my sake, but for Jesus's sake. If this is your chosen community of faith, then this is where you need to be investing for an eternal impact. Number five, that's the point of money, eternal investment. This is the way Martin Luther said it. He said, we must use all these things upon earth in no other way than as a guest who travels the land and comes to a hotel where he must lodge overnight. He only takes food and lodging from the host, and he doesn't say that the property of the host belongs to him. That, that's, that's a simple illustration. If you stay at a hotel... A bed and breakfast, you get food, you get a warm bed, you sleep, and then you go on your journey. And what Martin Luther is telling you is your own home that you bought, that you're still paying for with your mortgage, your own car that you bought, treat that as a hotel that belongs to somebody else. It belongs to God. You're on a journey. This is, he says, this is not your continuing city. This is not your, your forever city. You're going on to heaven where your eternal home is. So treat everything as if it belongs to somebody else who is letting you stay here for a time. Manage it wisely. He says use only what you need and the rest, whatever's left over beyond what you need, give it to others to serve others. That's how we approach our finances. Number six, faithfulness with worldly wealth means God will trust you with spiritual riches. And these spiritual riches, I believe in the context of this passage, are eternal relationships. If you want to grow your influence over other people, if you want to grow to have deeper relationships, then use the little things well, and then God will give you relationships to manage. Use your physical wealth, your, your worldly wealth well, and God will give you a deep, spiritual, eternal relationships to manage as well. And number seven, it's impossible to serve both God and money when Joshua brought the Israelites out of the Exodus and into the promised land. They, they looked over the promised land, which was full of, of other peoples and other gods. And some of them had been forced out, but not all of them. And they all knew there would be challenges ahead to worship other gods. And, and Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Guys, one of the, the great idols of our society, of our culture, is this, is our money. And so that that's what God is calling us to. Choose you this day who you will serve. Will you serve him for his glory, or will you serve money? I have an application point for you that I'm gonna ask you all to do. Not right now, but this week. I'm gonna ask you to take out a dollar bill. It can be a one, ten, a hundred. Again, I'm not asking you to do this right now, because if a pastor asks you to pull out money, he might be shady. So I'm gonna ask you to to give to the church responsibly, but but not right now. So Take out a dollar bill this week, it can be any size. And I want you to look at it, see how old it is, this one's from 2013. This one has lots of wrinkles. And I want you to think about what this could have been used for. Over the last eight, nine years, this, this has been used for lots of things. Some of them beautiful, pure, and, and amazing. This, this could have bought a kid an ice cream cone, which is super cool. This could have, could have bought a little boy a bike, it could have bought a little girl a doll. It could have fed a widow. Maybe this was used to to help a, a a single a single mother and her family. Maybe this was used to to buy a hamburger for a homeless person. There's so many beautiful things that could have happened with this dollar bill. And I want you to do this exercise. And I want you to use your imagination and think about that dollar bill in your hand, what that could have been used for. And then I want you your mind to keep wandering on to say. What unrighteous things could have happened with this? And literally, pick it up and ask yourself, look at it and think, could this have been used to invest in an addiction that destroyed somebody's life? Could this have been used to invest in physical pleasure that ruined a a young woman's life or a young boy's life? Could this have been used to take advantage of somebody? Could this have been used to rob from somebody? Could this have been used to destroy a life and not give life? And and the truth of it is, either one is possible. Ice cream cone, illicit substance that fuels an addiction. Either one could have happened with this $10 bill. And whenever I spend it, wherever I spend it next, either one could still happen with this $10 bill. And you know, thinking about that, Actually makes it feel a little bit dirty in my hands. It, it makes it feel like I don't actually want to be a part of that. And you know, that's the right attitude. And that's why I want each of you to go through that discipline and think about it and feel that dollar in your hand and recognize what that can be used for in such heinous, vile, unrighteousness. And then I want you to say, "I'm not going to serve that. That's not my God. That's not my idol." But by God's grace, I can use that for him, for his glory. And the ripple effect will last for all eternity when people are reached for the sake of the gospel. We're going to stand and sing again. And we're going to sing away our fears. Because so much of the way we manage finances biblically and faithfully is coming up against our fears. Our fears of not having enough not having enough to pay for our own expensive, to provide for our own family. And so as we sing away the fear this morning, I want you to sing in obedience and recognize that he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he who owns literally all wealth, he is watching over us, and he is providing for our needs. So let's stand. Let's sing away the fear.